The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today we sit down with Philip Robb. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Oakland-based Model Number, an innovative furniture design and manufacturing enterprise that is looking to turn this centuries-old business onto its head with a 3D printing business model. Bringing experiences as a co-founder of the technology retailer Beta and the leader at Nest, Toys R Us, and Nintendo, to name a few, Philip and his team are looking at innovation as a core tenet of the firm's work something the retail industry needs today more than ever. Welcome, Philip. Uh, Philip, good morning. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, bud. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So uh, where do we find you today on this uh, you know, late September day? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm at home uh, in San Francisco. Uh, so it's, um, you know, been kind of bouncing around, uh, you know, uh, trying to get some uh, good road trips in, you know, um, this uh, this summer. But uh, I think that fun is is over now, and um, you know, it's time to kind of hunker back down. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the real the real world is uh, back, right? Yes, uh, cyber school is started for the kids, as I like to call it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. You, you, and uh, how many other families in this country, right? <laughs> um, so, Philip, uh, by way of introduction, uh, would you mind giving us a little bit for me? about you know your your background what you've been up to and then uh, you know model number right the, yes. the, the new enterprise and sort of how all that uh, came about yeah absolutely um, so yeah my name is Philip Robb and uh, I'm the CEO uh, of a company called model number um, you know I think uh, Still relatively uh, unknown um, company, but I think a lot of people will will learn. You know, I think very quickly uh, here on, on kind of what we're doing because we're up to really some unique things. And I'll, I'll talk to we'll talk obviously talk more about you know what uh, we're up to with model number. You know, some people may you know previously know me um, you know, from uh, I'd started a company called Beta, which was a uh, retail as a service company. Um, started yeah. that about five years ago after I left Nest uh, with a couple of um, uh, former colleagues at, at Nest, and uh, you know we we grew Beta into uh, you know a global brand, um, you know really focusing on changing you know the we the way that people you know shopped uh, retail, thought about retail, you know both from a B two B and, and well as a B two C you know concept, and uh, I, I left. Um, I did a uh, role at Beta uh, back in April, and um, you know, recently took over the role as the CEO of Model Number. Yeah, so tell us about Model Number. What what is it? What what are you guys trying to do here? Yeah, the you know really the the idea um, behind Model Number. Uh, Model Number was um, founded by um, you know, three uh, really talented individuals: you know, Vani Kosla, Jillian Northrup, and uh, Jeffrey McGrew, um, who uh, you know, had a really the three of them met uh, because they were working on a project. So Jillian and Jeffrey uh, owned a um, design build firm, and um, Vani had uh, you reached out to them about uh, you know, and they were working on a project together. And I think they were building, looking to b- build furniture and having some customized furniture. Yeah. And um, through that process, 
I think discovered, you know, how cumbersome the process for not only building um, furniture um, was, uh, how lengthy, you know, the process took. And then I think, you know, just, I think sometimes the sheer amount of waste, I think that existed within the furniture industry. Sure. And, and from really that was, uh, was born um, the idea for, for model number to say, you know, if you could start a furniture business from scratch, you know, how would you do it? Um, you know, today, if you look at you know, the furniture industry, it's, it's highly inefficient. It's extremely wasteful. Uh, the operating margins on, on the business are, are, are low because of those inefficiencies. Um, and so, you know, model numbers, what we've done and we're setting out to do is looking at uh, automating uh, the whole production process, both through 3D printing, uh, as well as through CNC you know, fabrication. Um, and through doing that, we have the ability to, you know, no longer carry inventory, but to be able to take orders you know, on demand and turn those orders around in a matter of weeks uh, for consumers uh, and do it in a very sustainable, uh, eco-friendly fashion. Yeah, and I imagine that really sort of changes the way logistics is done in, in that business also, right? It, just as a quick step back, Philip, tell us a little bit about how the model number name came about and when did the company launch? Yeah, so the the name itself really is derived from the fact that uh, each piece of furniture has its own unique model number. Yeah. Um, so you know the idea around customization is that when you go on to the model number website and you can, you can configure in the same way that if you were to go on to you know, configure an automobile today uh, or like even Nike is allowing customization um, and configuration on shoes. You go in and you you can build that right, and so the the idea is that as you're you've kind of built this, whether it be a table, whether it's a chair, a bin, a planter, all of these kind of unique things, you as you build that, that is your unique piece. You know, kind of in the same way that a car has a VIN number, now all of a sudden that that piece has a has a has a model number, and the idea. Uh, you know, long term is that you'll be able to also to track that item. So you can track it through production, understanding where it is in the process. We'll eventually be able to, you'll be able to watch it actually being produced. Um, okay. And then, you know, once you have that, the beauty is then is that because the product is a highly sustainable product, so the from 3D printed is made from, from food waste uh, that's ground into uh, a non-petroleum um, plastic. So you, in theory, let's say you bought a, a coffee table from us and you know, it really fit within the decor of your home today, but three years from now you move. Well, because you have that, we have that model number and that model number uh, is still on record, you could ship it back to us. We could grind down that material and build you a new table okay. um, from the exact same material from the old one. So it's, it's a yeah. very regenerative type of process. And so I think that's really the, the whole naming convention has a, a very kind of technical element to it. But then, you know, we, we want to bring, I think, also kind of a level of humanity to it as well. And so that was, you know, the, the thinking got behind in, in the genesis behind the name uh, of the company. Um, the company itself has been around for, uh, was founded uh, back in 2018. So it's been around for uh, just under two years. Yeah, yeah. So fairly, fairly new. So, so that's that's a that's a fascinating process. And so, tell me, you know, how does the design work then? You know, when you say it's you know customized furniture, is it is it customized to the point where people can actually you know create their own things or uh, or or pick from a you know set number of things and then they you know get to sort of tweak it a little bit? How how does that work? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting question because you know it is 
with customization, like anything, you know, there's obviously people that love to just kind of tinker and build, but we found that the average consumer wants some you know, standard and, and base to start from, right? I mean, because you know, the, the idea of having, you know, we make so many decisions in our lives every single day um, that you also want at least some sort of base. You know, if I said, hey, just go build a table from scratch, you know, most, the average consumer wouldn't necessarily understand kind of how to, how to do that. So right. the, the level of customization comes in, you know, a variety of different factors. And so I think where we look at it is, you know, what, what it's what's the problem we're really trying to kind of solve? So very often, if you think about it, it's it's space, um, space constraints, or you know, maybe something not as, as as big as you want. And so, as as people think about their kind of their homes, you know, if you if you do something kind of off the shelf from a retailer or manufacturer, you know, you you're going to get one size. It's a one size fits all, and either that that works for you or it doesn't. Well, you know, how often have you maybe had a place where you know you wanted something that was just a couple of inches shorter, or you needed something that was going to be you know slightly bigger, and and it, so you can configure everything from size. You know, there's add-ons. We're going to be launching a whole new kind of product line later this fall, um, and one of those items, you know, you can add on uh, almost a dozen different um, accessories, um, and you okay. can configure that in, in, in the ways that you want. Um, and the same, so the way that I think the easiest way to kind of think about it is um, you're going back to kind of the car comparison, is that you you when you purchase a car or if you make a car like go online to do that, you can pick out like the color, you can pick out the interior, you can pick out the rims, but you're not, you know. Uh, and maybe even the engine size, but you know, you're not necessarily going out and saying, "Hey, uh, you know, I want it to have this type of muffler, or I sure. want it to have this <laughs> sure. chassis, and things like that." So right. there's definitely a base that we're creating and giving everyone a, like a starting point, and from there, it gives you the ability to uh, you know, maybe to change you know the the contour uh, if you want something you know, slightly different on on some of the 3D printed items. Uh, um, if you want oval versus you know maybe you know something that's a little bit more kind of abstract. Those are the things that you can do. So you can kind of pick one of those shapes. And then once you yep. pick the shape, then you can kind of look at the dimensions, you know, both from height, width, and depth, uh, and then, you know, also color. Yeah, and and th- that's a that's a great segue because one of one of the questions I also wanted to ask then is the design then you know proprietary. So it sounds like it's still your design, right? But what about what about the machinery and the and the equipment to to make this stuff? Is this something that was you know customized to you guys, or is this something that you know others could also acquire? Yeah, that was uh, one of the really unique things I think that attracted me to the to the company um, when I was talking to the team uh, is that there's a lot of advances that have happened in 3D printing over the last couple of years, which have allowed for um, more, I would say, commercial and industrial usage. Uh, you know, very often most people when they think of 3D printing, you, you maybe if you saw something, you know, a YouTube video or something, you know, that somebody was doing that was like a small, you know, kind of piece. Maybe it looked kind of very fragile. Yeah. Um, but now, if you look at 3D printing, I mean, it's it's being put into everything. Like their, you know, high end kind of racing yachts um, are using it for you know a lot of the parts because it's um, sure it's a lot lighter in weight, you know, you're starting to kind of see it in, in a lot of other kind of industrial use cases. There's a couple of companies that are um, starting to create, in, in fact, build 3D printed homes. And so, you know, for, for furniture, you know, it was an area that nobody was really doing it. And if you want, there are, you know, there is machinery that can be purchased, but it's, it's extremely expensive. But uh, one of the beautiful things that the team was able to do, it really goes back to, I think, to, to Jeffrey's, you know, expertise, one of the founders, is that you know he was we, we were able to really kind of 
you know, take different parts and, and build this, you know, from scratch. And so something, yeah. you know, we have the technology, um, and you know, that kind of proprietary technology that was built, has been built, um, that allows us to kind of do this in, in a more efficient manner, um, than if you were to kind of go out and to kind of build these, you know, machines. Now, eventually as we start to scale, we'll start to look at you know, different kind of, you know, solutions and figure out, you know, um, how we make, you know, the business, um, scalable, but for now we're um, able to kind of you know, meet the meet our current demand, uh, you know, based off of you know all the machines that have been built and, and customized in house. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And then, are you guys also considering at one point maybe forming some type of you know partnerships throughout the industry, or you know, will will the designs you know remain sort of only yours? No, I, I think I think partnerships are definitely on the table for us, for sure. You know, I think it's if the, the way that we think about it, and the way my approach is, is that you know I've always been very keen on on partnerships. Uh, you know, when I was at Nest, you know, one of the things that you know that I had learned and you know from from Tony, and he was very adamant was is that you know for us, you know, as we continued to grow, um, you know, working with brands that were bigger than us always kind of gave us that 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 idea and, and that connotation you know that we yeah. were a bigger company as well and so we really thrived off of that and, and same thing at beta um you know we had a lot of different you know, brand partnerships uh, over the years um and i'll continue i think to to develop those um, but again it has to be right for um i think who we are and and uh you know it's not doing it for the sake of just doing it but you know making sure that there's a i think a strategic um you know reasoning behind it Excellent. So let's jump into kind of the retail strategy of this. So by the way, I, I you know have to say this, and I'm not just saying this because because I'm interviewing you, Philip. But <laughs> my, my my son's favorite store at the um, UW uh, you know mall, yeah. whatever it's called there, yeah, U Village uh, was was Beta, right at uh, at uh, at the U Village. Yes, thank you. And so every time we'd go there, he wanted to go there first. So um, you know, kudos kudos to you guys for for doing something really that's uh, exceptional. Um, so, but but this is this is now a you know a new world and going into the retail business uh, at at this sort of point in time, kind of with everything else going around us in this in this world is is you know maybe perilous uh, to say the least, right? You're based in Oakland, but is the strategy going to be online? Uh, will there be a showroom? You know how how are you how are you approaching that? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it the the. Physical retail world um, today is in um, definitely, uh, you know, I think, hurting um, in a lot of different kind of you know sectors. You're seeing that with you know, some of the the changes that are happening um, with with malls, um, you know, with with your know, small kind of mom and pop shops, um, and you know, everyone is, is really being affected. And so um, you know, there is has been a really you know, steady increase in you know online purchases. I, I want to say I think some of the data I was looking at was around like. You know, I think pre-COVID it was around like fifteen or sixteen percent of sales, uh, you know, were online. I think now it's you know in the mid thirties. Yeah. And you know, but at the same time, you know, people are kind of going, you know, start where certain markets, especially you're starting to see it more globally and, and maybe less in the U.S. where you know markets were opening up, people were going back to physical retail. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I've also even seen you know just in San Francisco alone. You know, a lot of the businesses have figured out ways to adapt and are coming up with new, you know, new ways to monetize their businesses. Um, they're being more innovative in you know, some of the outdoor offerings that they're having, and so it's really, I, you know, I, I'm happy to see that there's a lot of unique innovation um, and people were moving quickly. So where businesses 
typically were very slow to move. I think they realized that it was, you know, that they had in order to survive, that they had to move fast. And, you know, it broke down a lot of, I think, some of the, the barriers that maybe existed internally within companies. And I think that's very encouraging. And then at the same time, I think consumers are being more receptive to unique ways to shop. And I think that that was something that probably would have taken, you know, quite a few years for, for most people to adopt. But they've, you know, we're, I think as, as a species, you know, we are, I think, yeah. very adaptable. And, and um, you know, people always say, you know, what's the new normal? To me, it's not necessarily new normal. I think we just have always adapted uh, to our surroundings and, and what's happening. Sure. And so, you know. 100%, yeah. And so the way that I view kind of physical, in the way that I view our kind of retail strategy moving forward is that, you know, it's it's twofold. You know, one, we are a manufacturing company and, and we have product today. You know, our sole facility is in Oakland. But as we you know, continue to grow and want to ensure that we're really maintaining um, our being true to kind of who we are and, and the sustainability and eco-friendly aspect of, of the business um, yeah. is that, you know, we will start to open up smaller kind of like probably what you call like kind of like micro factories throughout in, in certain markets where where we can also continue to to print and do that in, in a very highly efficient um, and and low impact way and I think what that will also do is then allow us to to look and say if in within those markets one we want to be able to to ship from um, you know those distribution centers be able to you know maintain the ability to, to get products into people's hands quickly. At the same time, you know, I think you know from a direct to consumer standpoint, while online sales of furniture are, and homeware um, have have increased steadily, I still think that you know the type of products we have and the unique design will will require some sort of physical presence. And so, sure. you know, what that looks like is that you know I think it's it's different. It's right. I mean, the there's it is a strategy we will definitely pursue probably in 2021 what that looks like i think we're still kind of working on that you know i think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to be doing a lot more temporary and pop-up type of things more outdoor things where you take things on the road you know at beta we had uh we outfitted a trailer uh that we took a, on a road show and and you know, would just pop up in in places yeah. where there were people and and um and uh, we found that to be highly efficient. So, you know, I think for me, you know, we're going to take into account a lot of these different things. Uh, we'll we'll see kind of where uh, the market heads in the in the next, you know, let's call it, you know, six to twelve months, um, and make that determination. But you know, to me, you know, still having the ability for people to get the hands on the product and to see it uh, and have that physical to be able to touch it and have the physical kind of manifestation of that is is going to be critical. But we'll also do it in, in a way that is highly efficient, uh, you know, from uh, both a an operation standpoint as well as from an economic standpoint. Yeah, yeah, and is part of the strategy also including at one point where these, you know. Uh, you know, showcases come back, right? And there are these big, you know, conventions like the furniture show, for instance, you know, would that be something that would be would be part of your strategy? Or are you kind of looking to innovate and sort of, you know, move away from some of those more established models? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the, the team had done some some small trade shows and, and saw great success, you know, previously in previous years. And, you know, it's the same type of thing. I think we'll assess and I want to understand exactly what do these shows look like? I mean, I, the, the great thing too is that that whole space has had to adapt and, and come up with more unique ways of doing things, right? Yes, Where, <laughs> right. Already. So I think it's like, you know, who's, who's uh, you know, it's kind of a wait and see approach, to be honest with you, uh, until kind of we can kind of make that decision. I want to kind of see, you know, exactly how they're going to execute. If it's just business as usual again, I think people just aren't even necessarily going to be interested in going because 
people are you, you already you I'm speaking at a, at a conference in January and you know, that I had actually spoken at in the physical you know realm before and the way that they're handling it I mean I was kind of blown away of just how innovative they were kind of like thinking about doing it because they've now had you know quite a few months to figure out to, to do this and you know those are the type of things I want to be a part of because they're you're looking at things completely different and it's like I think it's just these type of shows it's you know if it's just like hey we're just going to set up a bunch of booths and have people kind of come in I, I don't necessarily know exactly if that's attracting you know the type of you know people that you want because it's if it's just kind of the you know going back to the status quo I'm not sure if that necessarily works yeah I'm I'm with you 100% that Philip and I and I think you know times like these sort of disruptive times are also times for innovation right and I think this is this is when sort of new trends probably are born right when everything kind of falls apart if you will the way the way things are done so I'm yeah. I'm curious about that that also we've noticed over sort of you know over over the last decade as we've been covering sort of the you know commercial real estate space a lot of the trends in the commercial side originate in the in the residential side and more and more you know we're we're seeing sort of elements from things that you would have in your home are now emerging into into the office sort of realm also how do you see that impacting what what you know you're you're doing and if all of a sudden that becomes kind of a big source of interest for you guys you know how how do you scale yeah, I agree with you. I mean, right. I mean, the, the the lines are becoming quite blurred right now between what is you know commercial and what is residential. Being that you know, every almost everyone is working, you <laughs> especially know, from, yes. yeah, I was working from right. home, and I mean, so it's like what was once you know considered you know pretty much relegated to the office is now you know turning into people's living rooms, their bedrooms, uh, you know, you know, within various kind of nooks and crannies in in the in the home. So you know, it's. I agree with you. You know, there's a, a really you know, large. You know, I've been kind of following the 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 trend uh, as well, and and um, you know, the residential real estate market is is going you know crazy. You're seeing a lot of people moving from homes, you know, smaller, uh, maybe more urban apartments to kind of you know not necessarily purely suburban, but you know maybe kind of this you know more um, kind of hybrid where there's still you know some aspect of urban kind of non kind of cookie cutter type of kind of like feeling right. but more kind yep. of uniqueness to it but but where people have more space and because of it you know they're they're starting to evolve they still want the kind of the creature comforts maybe that they had when they were in more urban settings and 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 I think that's starting to kind of ch- to challenge the way that uh, I think a lot of these kind of more secondary and tertiary markets will will evolve right I mean people if you're moving from New York City and you liked having convenience of, of certain things, and you liked having great restaurants and stuff like that. If you move somewhere, you're still going to want those things. So, what it, I think will emerge within commercial real estate too is you'll find that there's probably you know uh, more opportunities for you know for places to you know new unique businesses to open up and to you know to cater to to this kind of new consumer moving into sure. into those markets, right? And and I think you'll start to see the, the development of that. You'll start to see. And, and I think you'll start to see some of these secondary and tertiary markets starting to thrive, you know, in ways that you know maybe that we're going to take take them a few years. So I think there's a lot of this. I, I think it'll in the long run. I think it'll be you know highly beneficial to a lot of you know, markets, a lot of businesses, and and uh, you know I think while right now things are are challenging and difficult for especially within the commercial real estate space, I think you know there will start to be uh, I think a boom that will will kind of come out of it uh, in the long run. And and that's why I think too for us I'm excited because as people are starting to move, 
you know, most of the recent data that I've seen is that the furniture industry, both from a uh, residential and commercial side, you know, is poised to grow by almost 30% over the next uh, seven years. Wow. Interesting. So, Philip, given kind of where the world is today, um, there's been a lot of, you know, written about all the negative aspects, both, you know, economically and, you know, personally and all that kind of stuff. As you as you look at, you know, forward into the future, you know, the next 18, 24, 36 months, what gives you hope? What what are you excited about? You know, I'm I'm fairly uh, in general I'm an optimistic person not without obviously you know poking holes and challenging things uh, you know I think you have to be as as a, as a business leader but you know I for me it's like I find that you know, we are I think very resilient uh, like I said you know as a um, as kind of humankind and and uh, also as a, as a as a country and, and as a kind of a business unit you know we, we figure out I think where those opportunities are and I think look a yeah. lot of the things that have happened um, have been extremely unfortunate it's putting a lot of strain on a lot of kind of middle class and lower class you know families I think that, that that's really um, challenging and, and I hope that you know we're able to kind of figure out these types of things but I think for once it's actually putting um, you know people are starting to recognize that you know that there is uh, you know some really fundamental issues and problems that we need to be be kind of solving as we kind of move forward and and um, I think the thing that I'm optimistic about is that it is bringing you know to the forefront I think a lot of you know the systemic problems that have I think existed in in uh, in the country for a really long time. Um, And now people are realizing that they can, you know, in various ways can kind of make change and and do things differently. And I think through that, you know, I think we're going to start to see like, Look, sometimes you have to kind of hit rock bottom, and I'm not honestly, I'm not necessarily sure in certain areas that we're we're, we're quite there yet. Um, you know, but to 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 recognize that, unfortunately, but I think you know, where I'm, I think hopeful and optimistic is that, like I said, you know, it's it's brought, um, I think brought together, um, I think communities, it's brought together people. It is also realizing that where you know, certain things have, you know, certain businesses that have shut down, to be honest with you, they probably should have shut down a long time ago yeah. um, because they had just really failed and, and you know, to to look and understand where, what were things happening. And you're seeing that a lot, obviously, in the retail sector. Um, there were businesses that, like, you know, they were, they were going to, they were going to shut down within two to three years and it's just accelerated that. You know, I heard one person, you know, say that they referred to kind of this period as the great accelerator and, you know, it's accelerated everything in a lot of, you know, a lot of areas. Um, and I would say you primarily on the, on the, on the real estate side, it has accelerated, you know, that I just take San Francisco for in general, like this market. I mean, it was, it was way, it was going, it was getting out of hand, right? I mean, it was from a residential standpoint. I mean, it was going to be the point where nobody was going to be able to afford to live here. And if they were, it was going to be, you know, in somebody's closet and, uh, and something had to change. Right. And I think it's, it's good that it's finally started to do that. And, and, um, and so I think, you know, my optimism comes from the fact that we are an extremely resilient, I think, you know, group of of individuals. Sometimes, you know, we just need kind of, uh, kind of that kick in the ass to be honest with you of, yeah. You know, to have, where to kind of move things, and and while you know, the short term sometimes is, is challenging, difficult, I think come long term, you know, some some great things will come from it. Um, Philip, if people want to find out more about your company and learn about it, where where can they go? Yeah, um, there's a lot of great uh, resources that we have. Uh, I would say the probably the first and foremost, um, just some basic information would be to go to uh, modelnumber.com. So that's m o d e l dash n o period dot com. Uh, if you want to follow us, uh, we've got you know, our social media handles. Uh, so you can go to Instagram um, to, to really follow a lot of the, you know, the the content that we're generating, as well as on Pinterest. Um, and then anything more business related, uh, you know, check out our page on on LinkedIn. 
Um, and as always, people can you know reach out to me directly, and I'm happy to you know answer kind of any questions or you know talk about you know partnership opportunities. Great, awesome. Well, Philip, uh, good luck with uh, Cyber School, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> stay stay safe. Thanks, Vlad. Really appreciate the time. 